Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, the listener mail. This is Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick. So we have some more. This is actually one of these listener mails where we're recording this two weeks out, I think, from when it's actually going to air. So um, if you've sent out something more recently, uh, well, it's just accumulating in the mailbag and we'll have to get to it. It's just in the bottom of the bag, growing fungus in the dark. But I think it should still be readable by the by the time we're back, which yeah. if you're listening to this now, we are. I'm hoping it's going to be filled with lots of accounts of people's pet hermit crabs, people's, people writing in about their hermies, uh, uh, telling us what they eat, uh, <laughs> sending photos. Uh, that's what I'm looking forward to. All right, let's see. This first message comes from Benjamin, and it is in regards to chainsaws and some previous listener mail. Benjamin says, hello, stuff to blow your mind, people. This message is in reply to Chris's email from the listener mail episode released on the 15th of November. After hearing about uh, sideline enthusiasts cheering on their favorite downhill mountain bike riders with a barless, chainless chainsaw, I can understand your skepticism. I would be willing to bet a brand new steel wood boss that this form of cheering has migrated over from motocross. Granted, this is speculation. However, I remember seeing fans cheering on motocross riders using Chainsaw's Sans Bar with a set of handlebars and number plate attached across the top when I attended a race outside Pittsburgh in the late 1990s. This display makes slightly more sense as motocross bikes at the time were mostly powered by two-stroke engines just like most chainsaws. Oh, and Rob, by the way, when I uh, I, I went back uh, after we, we read that email from Chris, and I looked it up just to make sure Chris was not lying to us, I did find evidence of people using chainsaws on the sidelines at the at the mountain biking event. So th- that is apparently at least sometimes true. Hmm. Benjamin goes on. While I'm on the topic, I was waiting with bated breath through both chainsaw episodes for Rob to at least mention all the chain weapons in Warhammer 40,000, While this class of weapon is just as improbable as most of the weapons technologies in said universe, your spotlight on the topic found me looking at the 40k chain weapon art, and I noticed something I never had before. All the chain weapons I've seen in 40k have the tooth pattern associated with old saws, not the modern teeth patterned after the grub mandibles. This hadn't come to my attention prior. Thank you for all that you do, Benjamin. Wow, that is some observation, Benjamin. So they've got the uh, the teeth would be more like the scratching knife tip type teeth rather than the uh, the the chiseling or chipper type teeth that were designed by uh, by Joseph Cox after observing the uh, the pine sawyer beetle. Yeah, I, I hadn't really thought about this either. I mean, uh, Warhammer forty k chainsaws are probably the chainsaws I look at more than, than real life chainsaws. Um, and I mean, I guess part of it is like these are based on miniatures that are you know, you're going to paint, and maybe that works better to have those little teeth. And also, yeah, they look like teeth. They look like jagged metal animal teeth in this weird sword. So maybe it just works better uh, for a fantasy weapon. Rob, I don't know. I guess I hadn't mentioned this off mic. Since we did our chainsaw episodes, I've actually had a chance to use a chainsaw. Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, my so father in use it on. Uh, my father-in-law brought one over, and we used it on some. I was cutting down some brush in my yard. Yeah, yeah. Did you do do proper safety and all that? 
I I think so. I don't know. <laughs> well, I I pr- you know, thinking back on it now, I didn't wear goggles or eye protection, and I did get some like chips flying mm-hmm. up in my eyes. So don't do what Donnie don't does if you're <laughs> using a chainsaw. In addition to all the other stuff, yeah, you should probably cover up your eyes. I can speak from experience that doesn't feel good. Yeah, they never do this in the various horror movies that we see. And, um, and you know, the, the Space Marines even, they yes, they have the helmets. They're supposed to be wearing the helmets. But there are plenty of uh, images and uh, figures where they've taken the helmet off and they have a roaring chainsaw, or chainsword rather. Uh, and like, what are you doing, guys? You're going to get all sorts of weird gunk in your eyeballs. So anyway, in the ensuing days, I've ordered about three dozen chainsaws off the internet. They should be arriving <laughs> over the next few weeks. There are some really interesting chains. I remember seeing one at a store once where I'm not even sure what function this was for, but it like had a pair of jaws at the end and the little tiny chainsaw inside of it, kind of like xenomorph jaws. Hmm. I mean, I guess it was for some sort of specialized like gripping of a tree branch and using the, the, the saw blade, but it was, boy, it was weird. Oh, was it a, uh, what's called a, like a lopper chainsaw? It kind of like combines uh, like, like clippers and chainsaw blades. Ooh, I don't think it was. I just had to look up this lopper chainsaw you're talking about. And this is a strange device. It looks, yeah, it looks kind of like scissors, but it's also a chainsaw. <laughs> Crazy. There's so many, so many chainsaw innovations these days. But it, I guess it did kind of look like this. Uh, but imagine if it also had uh, like a little chainsaw inside its mouth. All I can think of now is like a, a, a sort of cyborg form of dentures where your teeth are replaced with tiny chainsaws for enhanced chewing. Uh, oh, I have it now, Joe. I'm, I'm totally ruining my uh, my shopping algorithm here by looking these things up. But I think what I saw, it was a jaw saw. So, um, it, yeah, it, it, it looks like uh, some sort of, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a Lowe's or Home Depot xenomorph with a little chainsaw in its mouth. Oh, I see exactly what you mean. Yeah, so it's got a... It's almost like a guide or a guard in a Y shape and then coming out like a tongue sticking out in between the jaws is the end of the chainsaw. I like guess this is bar. like a safety yeah. measure. Like it's a way of using, making use of the saw, but having it within that protected like uh, metal cuff of a mouth. That would make sense. I bet this kind of design is less likely to, to uh, kick back and like accidentally nick you in the leg or something. Hmm. I'd be interested to hear from anyone out there who's used one of these. Uh, what's it like? Let's keep the chainsaw chat going. <laughs> All right. Here's a speaking of chainsaw chat. Here's one from Anna. Um, Anna says, I have enjoyed the episodes about chainsaws, and I have also enjoyed listeners' responses to them. One thing I was thinking about when I was listening to the episode is the image of the lumberjack. They are generally seen as salt-of-the-earth type of people. I grew up in Tasmania, where logging was a big thing, so much so that wood chopping was a sport that people would go and watch. I don't know if this is uh, popular elsewhere, but competitors would compete to see who could chop through a log the fastest. I know you were talking about chainsaw horror movies. I was wondering if uh, this is just an upgrade of the axe murderer stories. I had the idea that the chainsaw is seen as a replacement for the hardworking man with an axe. Now, with this new technology, people are losing the value of hard work. And maybe that is part of what makes chainsaw murders so bad. I am not sure if I am overthinking this, but it was just a thought I had. Well, like we talked about in the episodes, at least uh, in the case of the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I think Toby Hooper seems to have had some ideas about uh, 
about economics and work and consumerism in mind when when he was making the first movie. Uh, and, and it certainly comes through in some of the satire in the second movie because – uh, the second movie has my favorite scene in the whole thing is just a scene where Dennis Hopper goes shopping for chainsaws. Oh yeah, and he gets the he gets the two uh, uh, smaller uh, saws to go in holsters, and then he gets the, the the big daddy saw as well. But yeah, he's just at the place shopping, and the shopkeeper there is watching him like pretending to duel, <laughs> seeing mm-hmm. like how it feels in his hands, swinging it at things. Oh yeah, we get we do get a little little chainsaw dueling in that film. I'm not sure if that's the first place we see it cinematically. It might be, but I know that chainsaw dueling also shows up in I think the second Phantasm movie, and uh, oh of course more recently there's a little bit of it in Mandy, uh, which I think was very much included as an homage to these these pictures. I would say that in reality, based on what I have learned about chainsaws, it would be a very poor idea to try and do a chainsaw duel. That sounds like a yeah. terrible choice terrible in fact i'm kind of curious to go back and watch these sequences just to try and figure out how they did it with any you know even a monicum of safety you know while making it look like the the saws are in fact running Hmm. yeah all right rob you ready for some messages about dune oh always Okay. Uh, well, just uh, real quickly, I wanted to read from Sean, who is following up from uh, something I said in our Dune episodes. Sean says, Hi, Joe and Robert. I'm listening to the Benny Gesserit episode while running and had to stop quickly just to say I remember the same paperback copy of Dune Joe had. <laughs> With, I would say, six-point font, the letters almost to the edge of the page, several lines on each page, often at angles. <laughs> yeah, this I feel vindicated. This sounds about right to my memory. Uh, anyway, uh, Sean says, love the show. Back to the episode and my run. <laughs> yeah, the, the, I might have had a copy like that at, at some point, like when I was younger. I think... Uh, I think text that size would just be absolutely painful for me at this point. Uh, I'm currently rereading uh, Dune on a Kindle, so that means I can change the the font size to whatever suits me. Seems perfect. All right, uh, I'm going to read also this message from Renata discussing Dune as well as a recent Vault episode about mushroom foraging. All right. Renata says, Hi, Joe and Rob. I loved your recent Vault episode on mushroom foraging. You seem impressed that deer will eat just enough of a toxic food to get a nutritional benefit while avoiding the toxic effects. But I was surprised you didn't mention that humans are masters at this game. The most clear example of this to me is alcohol. Uh, I can't remember where I heard this theory. Uh, She thinks possibly from us, though I don't remember us talking about this. Uh, But she says... um, It is that humans developed a liking for alcohol because in our primate ancestors, it signaled that a fruit is ripe, therefore containing more sugars. If they eat uh, just enough of a fruit as it begins to ferment, they get maximum sugars. If they wait too long, they get intoxicated or maybe worse. There are plenty of other examples. Pineapples contain bromelain, which is used as a meat tenderizer and can cause your tongue to go numb if you eat enough. I recently developed a sensitivity to quinoa because it contains small amounts of saponin, uh, which is a toxin but usually thoroughly washed off when you prepare quinoa. But apparently, if you're exposed to too much of it once, uh, a fateful salad from a cafe, in my case, 
Even consuming minuscule amounts of it after that will cause a reaction. For me, that's hours of intense stomach cramps. Many foods naturally contain inulin, which is not digestible, but which is a prebiotic that can promote gut health. My favorite source is sunchokes, but beware consuming too much. Check out this Amazon review of gummy bears containing inulin for some colorful descriptions of what can happen. And then she links to yeah, uh, user reviews of a product that apparently made people ha- have a lot of uh, uh, defecation emergencies. Ah, I do have to say sunchokes are, uh, are absolutely glorious. Uh, I have yeah. not had them recently, but I, I, love, I love my sunchokes uh, or uh, Jerusalem artichokes, if you will. Also, I want to follow. I was reading about uh, saponin on on quinoa. It, it is true that um, grains of, of quinoa are naturally they tend to be coated in this uh, this organic substance called saponin, which kind of creates a, a foamy, soapy like texture sometimes when uh, when combined with water. Uh, but I don't think that's like a reason to be concerned about eating quinoa. Like it, it seems like uh, there, there's not really usually enough of it to hurt someone, and uh, you, you can wash it off prior to eating it. Apparently, some some types of uh, quinoa that they're sold will tell will instruct people to rinse it before you cook it. Mm. Oh, but the thing about bromelain too is interesting because uh, I I've seen bromelain used uh, like Renata says as a meat tenderizer, like people uh, sort of mashing up a big pineapple and then soaking uh, some some cut of meat in it in order to make it make it more tender to the tooth. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think I had a, a an incident once where I had. Some sort of uh, this. This was I don't know. This was probably I think it was a fish dish, or maybe it was back when I had when I still ate chicken. But uh, there was some sort of meat, and it had a pineapple salsa on it. And mm-hmm. uh, I let it sit in the fridge overnight. And uh, by the next morning, the uh, the the pineapple had like just reduced the meat to mush. It was, Ugh, uh, it was, yeah. it was quite interesting. Oh yeah, you don't want to you don't want to let your pineapple marinade mm-hmm. go too long, or your dinner will turn into a melt movie. Yeah, a fine, a fine paste. Oh, but uh, Renata goes on talking about Dune. So uh, she says, I also wanted to comment that I went into Dune nearly cold. I watched the Lynch adaptation about six years ago, but was only half paying attention. When I heard about the latest adaptation, I purposely avoided Dune content so I could go in as cold as possible. I found it exceedingly easy to follow, and I thoroughly enjoyed the film. Like you, I felt that it found inventive ways to make the necessary exposition diverse, fun, and clear. The narration and on-screen text at the beginning gave way to dialogue that helped explain what was happening, but most impressive to me was the way Villeneuve teaches you a visual and auditory language that lets you intuitively follow the story without endless expositional dialogue. My favorite example was that of the force fields, which are blue when they are effectively maintaining protection and red when they're penetrated. This adaptation of Dune rivals my favorite film, 2001 A Space Odyssey, for being as close to cinematically and technically flawless as you can get. Uh, well, glad to hear another good review. I, I loved it as well. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with high I think everything you say. I, I also really enjoyed the uh, the color coding of, of how the, the shields, the energy shields were uh, were working because, yeah, you, you could see even from a distance when somebody had managed to, to move the knife through the shield slow enough that it wasn't deflected because everything would turn red suddenly. Yeah. Uh, finally, she says, uh, deeply appreciate your show. I can't stop sharing anecdotes I learn with my friends and listening has become a big part of my daily routine. Thanks for making new episodes and picking great vault episodes to share. Best Renata. Uh, well, thank you for writing in. 
Yeah, yeah, these are some excellent thoughts. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm enjoying continuing to hear from folks about uh, that latest, the latest Dune adaptation. Um, since everyone enjoys fan casting so much, uh, we should really get in on this this window we have right now before they officially cast um, the Emperor and um, Fade Rafa. Uh, who do you think would be ideal to play these roles? I'm I'm, I'm excited to see who they pick. Fade Rafa, Sting again. <laughs> that would sting be interesting. Now. Sting, yeah, I mean, Sting, <laughs> Sting could totally do it. That would be that would be interesting. He has not actually aged a single day since the yeah. last movie. For Fade Rafa, I don't know. It's tempting to 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 want to go with one of the Skarsgård children, since we have um, Papa Skarsgård doing such a great job as the Baron. Maybe get Bill Skarsgård in there. <laughs> uh, I am not endorsing this choice, but uh, some people uh, on the internet are apparently suggesting the guy who plays Joffrey in Game of Thrones. <laughs> oh, I mean, I don't know. I haven't seen what he looks like these days. Um, yeah. and he was still basically a child actor at the time, uh, so maybe he's maybe he's perfect for it now. I don't know. I I don't know. I I would if I were him. I would if they reached out. I would be hesitant because uh, even as great of a role as this would be, you don't want to be typecast for the rest of your career as a little uh, fancy tyrant. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm. I don't know. I I don't know. I'm looking at a, a present, uh, you know, current picture of him, and uh, I don't know. Maybe he could do it. Maybe 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 he is perfect for it. I don't know. I'm still going with with my gut and saying Bill Skarsgård, but uh, but uh, but again, I'm excited to see what actually happens, and hey, I'm excited to to, to see what sort of uh, suggestions our listeners make. Vin Diesel. <laughs> All right, here's another bit of listener mail. This one comes from Jim in New Jersey, and it's in uh, response to the episode uh, on luck. Uh, Robert and Joe, when it comes to luck, here are my two favorite quotes. The harder I work, the luckier I get. This is attributed to uh, too many to find its original author. And then luck is when preparation meets opportunity. Uh, And this is from Roman philosopher Seneca. Uh, I don't believe in luck, but I consider myself a lucky person. I'm not sure how to resolve those inconsistencies. I never believed in lucky items, but I had a few habits uh, while taking tests in college. Some may consider them superstitious based upon luck, but I thought of them as rituals and traditions. They included wearing a uh, wearing dark blue on the day of the test. This was easy since it was a school color. Uh, taking four number two pencils wrapped in a rubber band and a handheld eraser, <laughs> and never taking any books or notes unless it was an open book test or one that allowed notes during the exam. These rituals got me into a test-taking mental state on the test day. Taking books or notes not allowed during the test would only encourage me to cram in the hallway immediately before the test. I felt that was a crutch, and I wanted to enter the testing room with confidence. I wasn't sure if I felt pity or disdain for those cramming in the halls. I did pretty well in tests, so I guess it worked for me. Jim in New Jersey. Wow, Jim coming in with, like, nerd swagger. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, this is just a, yeah, you get into the topic of luck, though, it gets so, uh, yeah, it, it's all over the place, we, it's the different ways we think about it, and, uh, you know, I don't even, uh, certainly I don't think we got into this in the conversation, but then there's this whole, uh, like, area, too, of, like, luck as um, uh, how it can be utilized as kind of like a, um, a, a toxic positivity, uh, you know, mm-hmm. like like overly reminding somebody of how lucky they are. Oh, you're lucky for this. You're le- you're lucky to have this or that or the other. Um, so, I mean, there's just so many oh, so many dimensions to the human concept of luck that you could uh, you could just discuss it almost endlessly. 
All right. Well, maybe we should round things out with one last message on Weird House Cinema. And this this one is a real treat because this is a bit of listener mail from our own producer, Seth. It uh, <laughs> it came into the mailbox and I was like, what, Seth? Or, is this from you? And he confirmed it was. So I, I feel truly honored that, uh, that <laughs> Seth was inspired to chime in. And to take you to task. <laughs> That's right. Because so recently people were asking about the Friday the 13th uh, franchise. And I think a listener wrote in to say, hey, uh, I'm not sure you were right that that Jason Voorhees becomes a revenant in the sixth movie. Uh, I I think he's a revenant since the beginning because uh, they say that he drowned many years ago. That's sort of the backstory. And my feeling on that as well, I I think it's just a a sloppy retcon. You know, they say that at the beginning and then they wanted to make a second movie and they're like, well, you know, he's alive now. Okay. But, uh, But Seth has an alternative vision. So he says, in response to last week's listener mail episode where the concept of Jason Voorhees' supernatural nature was discussed, I feel the need to deliver what I believe is the definitive answer to this question jason voorhees is a deadite Mm. if anyone is unaware a deadite is a parasitic demon that feasts on the souls of living creatures found primarily in the evil dead franchise and then he's even got a whole timeline laid out so he says the truncated timeline would go like this pamela voorhees was the cook at camp crystal lake her son jason drowned while swimming in the lake because of a lack of supervision from the counselors distraught pamela turns to dark magic to revive her dead son she uses the necronomicon ex mortis to cast a resurrection spell of some sort but a human sacrifice is required this is why she begins her killing spree by the end of the first film, she has very nearly obtained the number of deaths required, but while attempting to obtain her last soul, this would be Alice, the main character of the first Friday the 13th movie, Pamela herself is beheaded, thus becoming the final sacrificed soul. Very soon after, we see a fully revived but quite ghoulish Jason erupt from the lake in the film's final jump scare. There are fan theories aplenty on this topic, but there is official corroboration as well. The director of Friday the 13th Part 9, Jason Goes to Hell, which, to add my side on this, is is an absolutely miserable atrocity of a movie. Um, even even uh, like, like a lot of the other ones are bad, but very fun. I, I feel like Jason Goes to Hell, I just dare you to try to finish watching it. Because I think you've mentioned before, he does not actually go to hell in this, right? This is not no, like a Dante's uh, Inferno sort of uh, uh, plot line. Not only does he not go to hell, most of the time he doesn't even appear on screen. He just like mm. pos- Jason possesses people. So it's just actors walking around with like his soul in them. Oh, man, that's just false advertising. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, to continue with Seth's thoughts here, uh, Seth says, uh, the director of this movie, Jason Goes to Hell, Adam Marcus, went out of his way to make sure that Jason's deadite status is an official part of the Friday the 13th canon by having the Necronomicon Ex Mortis and the Kandarian Dagger. Uh, this is a magic dagger that appears in the ninth movie that is, for some reason, the only thing that can kill Jason. Um, uh, to, to have these items be discovered in the Voorhees home. Uh, Seth finishes up by uh, saying uh, there there are other bits of proof to be found throughout the series, and it definitely adds an interesting layer of complexity to the whole franchise. Keep up the great work, Seth. Um, <laughs> well, Seth, I, I, I couldn't be more appreciative of you, you sharing your thoughts on this subject, but uh, I'm going to say I think this is also uh, obviously a late retcon. Surely Steve Miner, when he made the second 
Friday the 13th movie did not have any of this in his head. Uh, but, uh, but that's okay. That's okay. I, I, I accept the, you know, the sort of franchise crossing retcons that, 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 that works for me. Well, and, and then I think the other part of this is that we at least were going to get at some point, they were talking about doing uh, Ash uh, from Evil Dead versus Freddy versus Jason type of a, a film. And I think we ended up getting a comic book instead because, you know, the forces didn't properly align there. So the the, the franchises were going to further converge like uh, like star systems crashing into each other. <laughs> I may have said, uh, mentioned this thought on the show before, but it, coming back to the, uh, the episode that Seth and I did in October about a horror movie music, I would hold up Jason Goes to Hell as probably the worst example of film scoring I have ever heard. It, it, the, the music in that movie is so bad, the music is actually funny. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but you've mentioned this before, and I remember looking it up, thinking, "Well, it couldn't be that bad, surely." But it's it is that bad. It's it, I remember it being wretched, especially since I mean the the Friday the Thirteenth movies of, of the things they're known for. One of the great things is that uh, that little sound effect that that, yeah. that part of the I guess you would consider that part of the score, part of the uh, the 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 audio realm that Jason lives in. Like that's so effective. Oh yeah, yeah the the classic Harry Manfredini theme, um, mm. and I, I think they still use that in in Jason Goes to Hell. But it, I don't know. Allegedly, the music uh, in in Jason Goes to Hell is by the same composer as as the original one, Harry Manfredini. But I don't know. Something is wrong with it. It's it, the dynamics of it are just so weird. It's just full of constant stings that are not associated with anything happening on the screen. So you just get like like minutes at a time of just done, da-da-dun, da-da-dun. It, it just stings and stings and stings, and it doesn't add up to anything. It's bizarre. And this is not to be confused with the, the, the disco hit that uh, that sprang out of the uh, the Friday the 13th franchise, right? Wait, we've talked what? about that. Uh, I think we've talked about that on the show before, right? Disco hit. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, there was uh, uh, some bit of the uh, there was some musical bit from one of the Friday the Thirteenth films that became this big uh, uh, like disco hit during the uh, at that time. Oh, okay, once again, Seth has the answers on this. He just cut in to let us know this is the theme song from Friday Part Three, another one of the worst entries in the franchise. I think. Oh yeah, yeah, but the, the music is solid. This is great. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe I got to go listen to that right now. Well, I have it queued up as well, so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna listen, to listen to it right after we wrap here. So, speaking of which, let's go ahead and close out this mailbag. Uh, but hey, it's going to be two weeks for us before we record another listener mail. So, that's uh, ample time for folks to get in there with their thoughts on recent episodes, some of our crab episodes perhaps, uh, some of the vault episodes that are coming out, the, the more recent Weird House cinemas. All of it is fair game. Uh, write in. Uh, let us know what you're thinking. In the meantime, if you want to check out other listener mail episodes, they air every Monday in the Stuff to Blow Your Mind podcast feed, core episodes on Tuesdays and Thursdays, Artifact on Wednesday, Weird House Cinema on Friday. That's just our time to focus in on a strange movie and put most serious matters aside. Huge thanks, as always, to our excellent audio producer, Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other, to suggest a topic for the future, or just to say hello, you can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. 
For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.